Well, good morning. My name is Jason, and I'm really glad each and every one of you is here today. Uh, before uh, we proceed, uh, Brad wanted me to remind you of this. If you're doing the spiritual growth survey old school, pen and paper, you can drop it off at the Welcome Center on your way out. So I will not be offended if you're multitasking on that. Uh, and I would say this, the question I'm going to ask you actually leans into a lot of what the survey is about. So I'm going to ask you that question right now. Brad and April talked about a faith gap. So let me ask you this morning, what is your faith gap? And what I mean by that is this, very simply, a gap between what you see and what you can't. When you think about your relationship with God, whatever that may be, your faith gap may be, I don't have any faith. I'm coming here this morning and I do not believe. Let me say, if you're here this morning, somebody drug you in, I'm thrilled that you're here. And I'm praying that you have an open mind to receive and to consider. Some of you, that faith gap may be a gap between what you believe God wants you to do and maybe the timetable. That was Jem and April in the Boaz Project's faith gap. Maybe some of you are in the middle of a decision to make, and it's not clear, and there's a faith gap. Maybe for others of you, there is a, just a bad habit, a sinful habit to break, and you're experiencing a faith gap. Maybe for others, there's a risk to take, and there's a gap in your faith. Maybe some of you this morning, you're just tired. You're worn out, and you want to be encouraged by God's word this morning. But there's a gap in your faith. Maybe some of you, quite frankly, you're too busy to pray. You're too busy to dig into God's word. Sometimes I'm too self-centered to give. Of my time, my treasure... Maybe for others, there's fear in that gap. There's fear that keeps me from acting on what God would have me do. But what is your faith gap this morning? I believe everybody sitting in this room has some faith gap. Whether you're just getting started in your walk, whether you have all kinds of questions, or you've got a faith gap that says, Lord, how can I finish this life strong? Wherever you are, there is a faith gap. The good news is today as we dive into this founding faith story in Genesis 22, we're going to take a look at Abraham's faith gap and an opportunity that he has to step into that faith gap. Now let me catch up just a little bit and then, uh, then we'll dive right in. This year we're in a, uh, a focus on faith stories. And in particular we're looking at the founding faith stories that begin in 
Genesis. We're not going through every single bit of it, but we're trying to learn from some of these stories. What does God have to teach us through these particular stories? And as we've looked at the Old Testament, we've discovered a few things. It's a mess. It's a brutal world. God's word doesn't hide the blemishes. It's unvarnished. All the warts, all the dysfunction, it's all right there. And we've suggested that as we look at these, we don't always see models that we can follow, but we may see a mirror that painfully reveals things about our own hearts. And even more, these stories, as we look at them, we follow the advice, follow the the counsel of Jesus who says, the Old Testament is really about Jesus. So there are signposts that point us to Jesus. So that's how we've been looking at these stories. We've, We've looked at Uh, some bizarre stories of a covenant where God speaks to Abraham and he, he, he slices these animals in two and he passes, God passes between the pieces was, which is a, a, a beautiful looking forward to Jesus's sacrifice for us. We looked last week at uh, God meeting Hagar in the midst of her pain And Hagar says, the God who sees, sees me. And we saw how that pointed to Jesus and how Jesus sees us. Jesus sees us in our need. Well, this morning we're going to go to Genesis chapter 22. I'd invite you to turn there. We're going to dive in and take a look at this, uh, this particular narrative. Let's go to Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, I'm not going to give you a lot of commentary as we go. I'm going to invite you to take three trips with me up the mountain as we look at some faith stories. The first, we're going to look at Abraham's faith, his test of faith. Now, Sarah has given birth to Isaac. We don't know Isaac's exact age. He's referred to as a boy. I'm guessing he's a teenager. That's how I just tend to look at it. Scholars differ on what his actual age is, but we'll, uh, we'll picture it that way. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. 
Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Would you pray with me as we ask the Lord to help us through this? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We want to see you clearly. We want to see your word clearly. I pray that my words are clear and helpful and they bring you glory and honor. Burn off whatever doesn't do those things. Holy Spirit, be our teacher this morning. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What do you do with this story? Can you imagine being Abraham? Can you imagine being Isaac? Can you imagine being Sarah? When I read this, I want to identify with the characters. I want to be there, I'm, I'm, and I don't want to be there. Because it's really just hard and difficult and rough to deal with. And I want to be careful that as I approach the story, as we approach the story, that we do it carefully. And we don't ask a bunch of questions that the story may not be trying to answer. We said last week that the, the Bible is for you. It is written for you, but it was not written directly to you. Which means we need to do some work. We need to understand it. We need to look at it in its context. We need to understand what it is pointing to. If you said, today God told me to sacrifice my son, what would happen? They would lock you up. And rightly so. We need to understand 
what God is communicating through this story. So we want to understand what Abraham has been called to do. Abraham, God has said, I will make you into a great nation. We're going to continue in Genesis. We'll look at this dysfunctional family and and how God uses this family, how God intervenes, how God speaks in the middle of the mess. And as part of his rebuilding project with humanity, God will work. Abraham has a particular extraordinary role in redemptive history, and God has his purposes for this particular test. And I believe it has a lot to teach us today about our own faith gap. But before we get there, though, I want to take you on another journey. Because I believe, as I said last week, that the the four, our forefather points us to the forerunner, points us to Jesus, points us to Jesus. I want, to th- I want you to think about the details of the story, and uh, I want to give you a, a very simple way to think about this. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I want to read this retelling of the story, of the end of it, because I think it's, it's absolutely beautiful. And as they sat there on the mountaintop, watching the embers of the fire die in the cool night air, the stars above them sparkling in the velvet sky, God helped Abraham and Isaac understand something. God wanted his people to live, not die. God wanted to rescue his people, not punish them, but they must trust him. One day, someone will be born into your family, God promised them. And he will bring happiness to the whole world. God was getting ready to give the whole world a wonderful present. It would be God's way to tell his people, I love you. Many years later, another son would climb another hill, carrying wood on his back. Like Isaac, he would trust his father and do what his father asked. He wouldn't struggle or run away. Who was he? God's son. His only son. The son he loved. The lamb of God. Amen? Now let me just say this. If you've got kids and you're trying to teach them the Bible, the Old Testament's really hard. This is a great tool to help them see how it's all connected to Jesus. And I got a little secret for you. If you're an adult and you're new to the Bible or you're old to the Bible, this is a great tool to help you see how it's all connected to Jesus. I'm not like a super emotional guy. I read this thing straight through one time and cried. It's just beautiful to see how it all connects. Don't share that. (laughs) But let's do some work. We've looked at Abraham's test of faith. Now let's look at Jesus for a moment here. Let's look at Jesus. Now, Now John will pick this up 
John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus looking toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The old sacrificial system that will, will come later in the story in the Old Testament where, where the lamb would be a burnt, where it would be a sacrifice for sin, Jesus would take that on. Jesus would become the perfect sacrifice. That's why we don't do that anymore. We don't need to. Jesus is the, the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice. I got one issue with the Jesus Storybook Bible, though. And it's, it's unfair because it's a, it's a children's book, so it's not a critique. It's just a, let's take this another step. Let's take this another step. Because in there, it, uh, it used this, this particular word. It said he wouldn't struggle or run away. Jesus didn't run away, but did he struggle? Did he struggle? He did. He did. I want to take you there quickly. Let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Jesus is given this task. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. And this is what's so cool. This is like roughly the same geographical place. Scholars debate the exact, I don't want to go into all that, but I mean, we're, we're basically talking about the same place 2,000 years later. 2,000 years later, about the same place. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus struggled. Jesus was tested. Jesus can identify and understand your struggle, my struggle, our struggle. Let us not overlook that. He is there. He gets it. He gets us. I love the, the, the ad campaign. Have you seen that? He gets us. You'll, you'll see it in the Super Bowl. I mean, like some of the most creative advertising that's going to point people to Jesus around the Super Bowl and all these big events. Very cool. But he gets us because he's been there. He knows what it's like to struggle. We, we don't worship an abstract force. We don't worship the God of the deist who wound up the watch and said, let's go, I'm not going to intervene, I don't know what it's like. We worship a God who feels, who has suffered. Breaks your heart to hear April talk about those kids that suffer. And Jesus knows that. He feels that. 
So Jesus went through his own test of faith. He is our forerunner. He's gone before us. One of the things I love about this particular story of Abraham, so much of the time I want to know what's going on inside the characters' minds. What was their motivation? What was their thought process? Do you have those questions? I hope you do. If you're a good reader, you ought to be asking that. Here's what happens. We, we get a glimpse. I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 11. And we actually get to see the thought process of Abraham. I want to take you there. We're going to talk about our journey, our faith test. And I want to take you back to Abraham. Go to Hebrews 11, chapter 17, or verse 17. By faith... Because as a dad, I cannot imagine this. I I cannot imagine taking the knife. I won't make any bad jokes. Like maybe there were a few times, but. uh, I cannot imagine that. I cannot imagine what that would be like to have been called to do that. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be, will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. I want us to look at this passage for a moment. I want us to look carefully at a particular word in here. It says, Abraham reasoned. I don't like giving you Greek all the time, but this one gives you a nice word picture. This word is legitimai. It's an accounting. Where are my accountants in the room? You work with, with numbers? Okay. I took a week of accounting in college. You know what I said? I said, this is way too much work. It's, it's way too tedious for me. I'm just going to write English papers and do that kind of stuff. It's an accounting term. When you legitimize something, you, you put it in the ledger or you, you reckon it. You take a look at it. If you're a CPA and you do audits, you legitimize. You see what's really there. It also has a, has a meaning of, of, of transferring something, of placing something into your account. When our, our kids owe us money for something, and we say, Venmo us. They are transferring it into our account. That's what the word means. Fascinating when you think about Abraham's thought process. That he is reasoning something. He is legitimizing something. He's reckoning. He is doing some accounting. And I believe he's giving us this particular word of instruction about faith. And let me give you this bottom line that I want to drive us home with. Every test, every test is an opportunity to transfer your trust. Every test, whatever's in that faith gap, 
April talked about an opportunity to transfer trust. What is your opportunity to transfer trust into your account? I want to take you to a couple other passages. I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 12. Because my question is, how do I actually do that? How do I transfer trust? God, you're telling, I think you're, you're leading me to do this. I, I can't see it. I know I need to be obedient here, but I look out and I, I, I can't see that it's worth it. I've got a timetable. God, you have a different timetable. I'm struggling to trust you. How do I transfer my trust to God? Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider, consider him. Look intently at him. Fix your eyes on him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How do we legitimize? How do we transfer our trust? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And, and the more intently I look at him, to God, show me, show me, Jesus, who you are, the more I can transfer that trust. Let me give you a couple passages from the Apostle Paul to help us with this. Paul says this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Three journeys. Abraham's journey. Up the mountain. Jesus, his journey, carrying the cross. We have a journey. We have a faith story. We have an opportunity. And it's not easy. Jesus says, take up your cross. Follow me. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. That is a transfer my wants, my desires, change me, change me from the inside out. That's the call. That's the call. Transfer. Now, so you don't think this is just all like really, really hard. It's all hard, but there's some accounting work we still need to do. Let me take you to Romans 8. 26. Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's right. Amen. Absolutely, amen. Here's what you need to see, though, in this. All things work together for good. What does that mean? God is always working, even when you can't see it. God is always working. For what purpose? To bring you riches, 24-7 happiness, a big house, perfect kids, a brand new car. Purdue to win the NCAA championship. (laughs) Don't worship idols. What's he after? That you would be conformed to the image of Christ, that you would become, that's what the purpose is. That's what we're called. And, and we have the Holy Spirit himself to intercede for us. You don't know how to pray? Spirit's there. You don't know who you are? What to do? The Spirit's there. To remind you that you're a child of God. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, when you make that initial legitimai and you respond and you say, it, it's, I, I'm no longer going to trust in myself. I'm going to transfer that trust into Jesus and take that step of faith. You become a child of God. If God is for us, who can be against us? And we can access all of those promises. Now let me give you one caveat on Romans 8, this verse. Because we're big about how do we share? How do we reach out? As God calls us to build these bridges into our community, as as God connects us, takes our pain, helps us connect with others in pain, how do we actually do this? You can't legitimize somebody else. Here's what I mean by that. If you've got somebody going through something really hard, don't say all things work together for good. That's true. That may come. That's probably not what that person needs to hear right now in the moment. That's Jason's advice. This is not the word of God here. But I'm saying, when you sit with people, sit with them in their pain. Sit with them in their pain for a minute. And say, Holy Spirit, guide me. Keep my mouth shut when it needs to be shut. Help me open it up when it needs to be opened up so that I can represent you well and be the love of Christ and point you to Jesus. Just felt like I needed to say that this morning to just give you that that practical thing. But as we follow Jesus, as we step into that gap, we fix our eyes on him. We simply fix our eyes on him. So let me just ask you again, what's the faith gap for you? What's the gap between what you can't see and what you can? And would you transfer 
Would you look at that test, whatever it is you're going through, and transfer your trust to Jesus? Amen? Now, as, a, um, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have an opportunity right now to come to the table together. You're going to have an opportunity. I'm going to pray in a moment, and we're going to receive communion And I want you to think about it this way. I want us to remember. Jesus gives us a meal. He didn't just give us an abstract set of beliefs. He said, this is what I want you to to do to remember what I've done for you. He gathered his disciples in the upper room. He broke the bread, and after giving thanks, he he gave it to his disciples and said, This is my body broken for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup and said, this cup is the the blood of the new covenant, blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the lamb who was slain for us. God's word says as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death and we look forward to his return. Here at Community Church, our, 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 our table is open to all who've taken a step of faith. Doesn't mean you don't have doubts. Doesn't mean you don't have questions. Just simply means you've at least said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So if you've taken that step, you're invited to come. And if you haven't taken that step, I would just continue to encourage you. Say, Lord, fill that gap. Fill that gap that I can't now see. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love, for your goodness. As we try to wrap our minds around this ancient story and learn from it, Remind us of your goodness to us. Remind us that you are good and that you are able. We know that that's true because of the cross. And we know that you have that power because, Jesus, you rose from the dead. And it's true. So we ask now, Holy Spirit, would you do the work in us and through us that only you can do. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Come now when you're ready. The table's open.